Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Well, good morning, everyone. He is risen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. For our time in the Word today, we are going to continue in our series, The Throne Room. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, the text that Justin just read for us. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And I know what you're thinking, Nathan, this isn't an Easter passage. You should be in the Gospels or something, right? Well, that's a good, that's a good thought. That's a good question. But I think if we see the victory of Jesus on Easter and the victory of Jesus as seen in the throne room of God, we will see the wonderful parallel together this day. So follow along with me again as we look at the text. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes and with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's our text today. Let me begin this way if I could. Most of you know this. I love history. I'm a history buff. Recently, Jamie and I went to Washington, D.C., and we had a chance to tour the Capitol and the Bible Museum, two parts of history that I really love. And she could just tell that I was in my element, and she even told me, if you ever retire, this might be a job that you could do. And I I agreed with her. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed that. But But let me just say, as I stood there and as I stand before you today and I look at the history of the world, I have always seen that evil men have tried to rule this world. You understand that, right? Throughout all of history, evil men have tried to rule the world. From Nimrod after the flood, to Nebuchadnezzar, to Darius the Mede, to Alexander the Great, to all the emperors of Rome. They all tried to rule the world and destroy the people of God under the power of Satan. From Genghis Khan to Mohammed to uh, Napoleon to Mussolini and Hitler to Lenin and Stalin. Again, all tried and all failed to rule the world. Today men want to rule the world and they do it under the power of the evil one. And listen, one day in the future... A powerful man will come under the influence of Satan. He will be the Antichrist. But I'm here to tell you, church, all will fail and he will fail. Amen? Amen. Now, I like what one commentator said. All of these men, these lesser lights, have one thing in common. He wrote, they failed. Only one individual has the right and the power and the authority to rule the earth. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day he will take back what is rightfully his. 
from Satan, the usurper, from the rebels, from the demonic horde, from any human. No one else on earth is capable, worthy of ruling the world. Let me say that again. No one else on earth is worthy or capable of ruling the world. Now in our text today, this text that we just read, that Justin just read, we introduce the mountaintop, the summit, the, the climactic moment when Jesus comes to take what he has redeemed. It's the central theme of Revelation chapter 5. So as our hub goes today, let's, let's just introduce that so we can understand where our text is going. Our hub for this is this statement. There is only one who is worthy enough to run the world. There is only one who is worthy enough to inherit the earth, and his name is Jesus. Amen. All hail King Jesus. In fact, in fact, why don't you say that right now? Ready? All hail King Jesus. Ready? All hail King Jesus. Now, now I thought that was pretty good from what I could hear, but what if he were standing right in front of you? Would you say it differently? I, I love you. I'll give you another chance. Ready? On three. Three, two, one. All hail King Jesus. Amen. All right. We have five points that we want to get through today. Here's the first one, the scene. The scene continues. Notice verse one. Then I saw, coming back from the transition of last week, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Last week we were introduced to the throne. We saw a scroll written within on the back with sealed with seven seals. So we transition from the grandeur of God's uh, throne to one single small but hugely important piece of paper. It was a scroll with seven seals on it. And it was in the hand of the Almighty God. Last week, do you remember what the throne looked like? Bright as a diamond, Red as a ruby with a rainbow of emerald encircling the throne. Thunder and lightning crashing, coming from the throne. And around the throne, John saw worshipers. John saw 24 elders who represented the church. John saw four living creatures who Ezekiel called cherubims in his vision. And John saw the worship of God for his awesome almightiness, his power, because he had created all things. It was all about the throne. The beauty, the terror, the worship of the church and the angels around the throne. But it was built for this moment. John had the privilege to see what came next. Today, the, phrase, uh, the phrases are sung, the crowns have been cast. The Almighty One now pulls out a scroll. It's the main object of this grand vision, the throne room. Maybe your translation says a book, but a scroll is a better uh, translation of that word because mainly they didn't have books back when John wrote this. So they had scrolls. Now, you know the idea of scrolls, correct? Um, I have one here that a good friend made for me. Um, it, looks, it looks something like this. Now, I can't say that this is the Dead Sea Scroll. It's, it's just, it, it's, uh, it's very simple. It has two doll rods on it, and we open it up, and inside is written, they've graciously written my favorite a book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and I, I thank them for that. I read it occasionally. I'll just pull it out and, and see what it was like to read from a scroll. Now in the right hand of God, we see a scroll 
but maybe we need to notice a few things about this scroll. Why was it here? What was it about? What was the purpose? Well, four things. Write these down. We notice this about the scroll if we look at the text. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within. It was written on the inside. That's pretty logical, right? You see that in the text? It was written on the outside. I mean, it was filled up front and back. Now, that was called a certain kind of scroll, which we won't get into today, but they used every portion of this scroll written everywhere. And as Christ takes this scroll back and he's going to begin to judge the world, notice that the judgments are both on the inside and the outside and all around. But then notice it was sealed. It says there that it was written within and on the back and sealed. It meant that it was only intended for or worthy of a certain person that could open the scroll. Sealing something ensured the transfer of information from one person to another, as was done without anyone else reading the information. Typically, people would write a letter, and, and bef so no other pe person would read that letter. They would melt wax on it and take their signet ring and stamp it, and that way it ensured when it got to the person by their servant, it hadn't been read by anyone else. Sealing it gave a sense of authority to the reader. Sealing it meant that the words that were written were expected to be done, and they had been improved by the one sending it. So it was written on the inside, it was written on the outside, it was sealed, but it was sealed seven times. That gives us a better idea of what this was. Under Roman law, the preparation of a will required seven witnesses who would affix the document with their own personal seal. John would understand that this had great legal ramifications, whatever this seal was. But John would also be familiar with the practice of redeeming a land within a family. The scroll of redemption, which was in the book of Leviticus and played out in the book of Jeremiah chapter 32, was a scroll that had seven seals on it that was kept in the temple of God. When someone couldn't afford their land, they would forfeit it. But a kingsman redeemer was obligated to purchase the land to keep it for the family until they could, they, they could buy it back or the year of Jubilee. And scholars believe that God is holding this scroll, which was the title deed to the earth. And it was important because it was sealed seven times total, front and back, filled up with the judgments that would come. And the one who was worthy to take it Listen to me now. The one who was worthy to take this scroll was the fulfillment of Psalms 2. You remember Psalms 2, right? Where it talked about the anointed one who would rule the world with iron, an iron rod. It says that the anointed one would take the nations as its heritage and possess it until the end of the earth, and he would break them and rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This scroll had to do with possession. It had to do with authority. Now, question is, who would be worthy of this scroll? This grand vision had been leading up to this point. It was all starting to come into focus now that the one worthy to take the scroll and inherit and judge the earth was 
the King of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was the Lord's anointed, the Holy One of Israel. But notice, for just a brief, brief moment, there was sorrow. Notice verses 2 through 4. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This is the only time that it's ever recorded that there are tears in heaven. Right here in this text. Why is John crying? And by the way, this isn't just mildly like tearing. Like whenever I watch that video that we play at the beginning, I always tear up. But that's not the same kind of crying here. This is unrestrained tears, loud sobbing. He Notice his crying comes after the the mighty angel asked, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Is anyone worthy to open the scroll? Show yourself if you are worthy. We also have an introduction of a new member here in this heavenly court. It's a mighty angel. But since no name is given, we're not going to assume. We're not going to guess. We will call him mighty angel. There was a quick search of the entire world universe and as the text says remember what the text says who was found worthy how many show me that's right no one underline that no one was worthy on earth or under the earth or in the heavens no man no woman no child satan himself not worthy his minions not worthy no angel no creatures, no one or no thing was worthy to rule and reign and take the scroll from the hand of the Lord Almighty. Now in my imagination, I can see John just kind of straining and looking to see who it was that would, would come and, and take the scroll. And then when seeing nobody move to weeping, he wants to see the one who has the power to defeat Satan, his world and his army than to wipe out the effects of sin. He wants to see the one who would reverse the curse on all creation. Yet the answer was only silence. Now we do not deal with the realm of the abstract in church, but we deal with facts. But can you imagine the utter, can you imagine the utter and complete helplessness and hopelessness that we would feel without Jesus? I mean, I look around right now at just all this social distancing and pandemic talk and, and utter fear that is in the world, that this might be the end, and how strangely it makes people feel and, and, and do things and act, and the utter hopelessness that people feel oftentimes lead them to a point of breaking down. I know I have. Have you? John breaks down out of the sheer sense of utter hopelessness that there is no one. There is no one. But I love, I love this next verse. Praise God the book doesn't end right there, right? I mean, can you imagine? I looked and there was no one. No, you are not loved. Good night. 
It would be a horrible place to end. But, praise God, we didn't end there. Notice, I titled this third point, Scolded. Scolded, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Look, or behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that, we, that he can open the scroll and its seven stro uh, scrolls, excuse me, seven seals. Now the tense is this. Stop weeping. Look at me. Stop weeping. Have you ever, you ever had that told to you? Let's be, let's be truthful now. Have you ever that told to you by a parent? Or maybe parents, have you, have you ever said that? Stop your crying. I've had this told to me. I might have said it to one of my children. Stop your crying or I'm going to what? Give you something to cry about, right? There's no crying in heaven. That's right. Now, one of the elders from the glorified church scolds him in a sense for his lack of faith. He says, look, look. And what does John see? What is John commanded to see? Excuse me. The lion and the root. Let's take each one of those. The lion of the tribe of Judah. We sang that song, Our God is a Lion. The Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament by Israel himself near his death in Genesis 49 to, that, that from the tribe of Judah would come one who would rule. Judah had all the power. He would be a lion's whelp. Now Messiah would have all the power to defeat sin. Messiah would have all the power to defeat the devil. Messiah would have all the power to defeat the kings of the earth, and he would come against them. Amen. Now somebody give me an amen in the chat for that. Our Savior has the power, and he is all-powerful. Now, it also says the root of David. That, that may sound a bit weird, but basically what that means, if taken from Isaiah 11, uh, where Isaiah is talking that Israel was have a Messiah from the line of David, was that the Messiah not only had the power, but because he came from the line of David, he had the authority to rightfully take back what was his. And the elder says, John, the lion with power and the rightful king, look, look at him. Wipe your eyes, boy, and look. But he doesn't stop there. He says, behold the Lion of Judah, behold the Root of David. Notice those next two words. Has conquered. Has conquered. There it is. This is what we celebrate today. Victory. Jesus is the overcomer. He overcame at the cross. He overcame death and the grave. He sat down because he did what he said he was going to do on the cross. He proclaimed, it is finished. He overcame. Amen. Now remember this. His own testimony from Revelation 1, he said, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Peter's testimony in Acts 2 said, God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held there. Therefore, he is exalted at the right hand of God. Hebrews 2 said, since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing and, though and through death 
He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He overcame. He was victorious. He has conquered. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that he abolished death. 1 Peter 3.18 says he suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Romans 1 says that we declare the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Today we celebrate the risen Lord. He is risen. He is the one who has conquered. He is the one who is worthy to take the scroll. John turns to this image, excited to see the lion and the root, excited to see King Jesus. But there was a surprise waiting for him. Notice the the text, the elder says, Behold, the lion, the king. But we read in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now John looks for a lion, but sees what? A lamb. Our Savior is a lion, and yet he is a lamb. What a paradox, right? A lion, ferocious, vicious, powerful. A lamb, meek and mild. Yet the rest of Revelation is the time of the lion and the lamb. The term lamb is actually the term used as a pet lamb. It was a term used of a lamb that would be bought and and housed and cared for at the Passover. At the Passover, they would purchase a lamb on Monday and bring it into their house for safekeeping. They needed a perfect, unblemished lamb. So I I thought about this, and and I was thinking about all the parents that have been... uh, social distancing and, and, and staying at home with their children. And what if, what if the McElwain's, Furman's, Durham's, Clark's, Nicholson's, Rach's, what if the McPeaks all just went out and bought this little precious lamb? That lamb would be a pet by Wednesday. Gatlin would be bossing it around. Lydia and Ellie would be walking it around the yard trying to get it on the swing. Jax and Aubrey would be trying to ride it or play cars with it or play tag with it. Faith and Harmony would be brushing its wool and playing house or school. Riley and Zoe would be singing the alphabet song with that lamb and taking it for long walks in the woods with Dad. Poor little Gideon, he wouldn't know what to do with the lamb. He'd probably just sit there and coo and caw at it. Paxton, Paisley, and Addison would be dressing it in their Meadowbrook shirts, and Mackenzie would want to take a nap with it. Grayson, Grayson, Grayson would be trying to figure out how to put it on his trampoline and play with it. Am I right? I think I am. Which is why Thursday was so hard in the Passover house. The pet lamb that they loved would lay down its life and was slain for the feast of the Passover. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Nate, that's an awful, awful image. Yes, yes, it is. But it pales in comparison to the image of our precious Lamb of God who died for us on the cross. And John looks and expects to see a lion. But what does he see? Notice, notice what it was. It was a lamb without blemish, 
used 31 times in the, in the New Testament, 28 times in the book of Revelation concerning Jesus, three times in the New Testament, and one time in the Old Testament. Do you know what passage that was? Isaiah 53, you're right. Notice it was slain. And that wouldn't be just like a little sprinkling of blood on it. That would be a very grotesque picture. It wasn't that, oh, he's, he's, he looks kind of dead. He looked dead. It was the lamb killed for Passover. It was the lamb killed for the Day of Atonement. It was the lamb in the thicket that redeemed Isaac. It was slain and sacrificed so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be atoned for. That's what John saw. Say it. Say it. All hail King Jesus. Amen. Write that in the chat. Fill up our chat right now. All hail King Jesus. King of kings slain before the foundation of the world. All hail King Jesus. And standing. Notice this lamb was standing. I looked and it looked slain. But it was standing. Why? How? Because it overcame. It was alive. It was well. It was coming to take what was his. And, and, and I can't wait for that. Notice seven. Notice the number there, seven. Underline that. Seven was the number of perfection or completion. It's all over the book of Revelation. It's all over the Bible for that matter. Seven days he created and so on. It's a number of completion. So notice this first because we're going to have... Some numbers of sevens here. Seven horns. Now, horns in the Bible were in reference to power. Consider the words of Hannah in 1 Samuel when she prayed and prophesied that God would exalt the horn or power of his anointed. Consider how David prayed that God would deliver him because he was his rock in whom he took refuge, his shield, and the horn or power of his deliverance and salvation. And this was saying that Jesus had perfect power. But also notice seven eyes. Jesus again had perfect or complete vision, all seeing, full of wisdom. And then seven spirits. Jesus had complete presence. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he is what? He is there. Warren Wearsby said, these qualities show us his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. Let me say it again. All hail King Jesus. Amen. What is it? It was a lamb. Where was it? Where was he at? Well, what does the text say? You tell me. He was standing between. That's the first thing we noticed. He's standing between these four living creatures that we talked about last week and the throne of God. But he was standing in the midst. I was blessed by that. He was standing in the midst of the 24 elders. Why? Well, I, I got to thinking, who, who, was, who, who are these elders? We talked about that last week, that, that this was the church. And who is the church to Jesus? His bride. In this Ephesians, he says, this is the one he loved and he gave himself up for. And he would be standing next to his bride. He is standing in the midst of the 24 elders. Wow. This is our king. But, but what, will we, what will he do? Well, well, if this were a high-budget movie, 
At this point, the strings and the keyboard would be building. The bass drum would pound with every step forward that he would take as he went to take his prize. It would be done in slow motion. People would be cheering and you would see him walking forward. Joy and celebration would be on John and the elders' faces. Next week or two weeks from now, we'll learn about the myriad of angels that will be in this celebration. The living creatures would be exalting him. Are you feeling it yet? It's the summit of the vision of these chapters. God has been revealed. The Holy Spirit is all around and in the midst. And the Redeemer is coming to take what belongs to him. Now hear me now. Only one is able to do this. And it isn't you. You are not capable to save yourself or your family, the state, or our nation. Jesus, only Jesus, is the one who is worthy. And if you're hearing me today, if you're watching me, if you're thinking you're okay because you're good enough, hear me when I say this. The mighty angel of heaven searched the entire universe. He didn't stop at your house and say you were worthy. He said no one was worthy. And you might suppose that your works of righteousness and goodness are balancing the scale in your favor. That you're being better than others. But let me say that that is a slap in the face of our Savior who was standing there as a lamb that was slain. Who on Friday climbed up willingly on a cross to die for you. He was buried and rose again that you might be free of the curse. Now I love you, but I need you to hear me say this. You are not worthy of heaven in your current condition. You need a savior to save you. You need a lamb to apply his sacrifice to your account to rescue you from your worldly thinking that clouds your eyes in your mind. You need to rejoice with us that in these five, in these like five more steps, he's going to be at the, the throne, he's going to take the scroll, and he's going to begin the process of ushering his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. But you need to do that today. We never know how much longer we have to choose a side. Let it be today. Choose life. Choose to be a follower of Jesus forever, always. He wants you to do that. He died so that you have the opportunity to do that. Because, because in the text, we've reached the summit. We've reached the summit. Look at verse 7. And he went... Imagine, the music is building, the, the drums are pounding, the people are cheering, and he went and he took from the right hand of God who was seated on the throne, the scroll. Now think of that. The scripture says in, in Timothy that no man can look on God and live, let alone walk up to his throne and grab something. Only the one who is worthy. The climax of all of history is about to happen all of history has built to this moment that the title deed of earth belongs to the one who has the right to redeem it. 
the one who is worthy. Daniel saw this in Daniel 7. He said, Behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, which was the title they used for God, and presented before him. And to him was given domination and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and language would serve him. His domination is an everlasting domination, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. All hail the one who has conquered, the one who is worthy to take the scroll. Say it with me. All hail King Jesus. I want to finish our message today in the brief moments we have left with some takeaways. Christian, if you're listening today, if you're watching today, if you're here with me today, long to see that day. Why did Jesus rise again and conquer? To take back what was rightfully his. To fulfill all the promises of God so that they would be yes and amen. But my question for you is, are you longing for that? Are you longing for our home going to be with him? Are you longing for Jesus to take the scroll? Do you pray even so? Come, Lord Jesus. If you don't, you need to repent of that. This is not our rest. This world is not our home, the songwriter, right? We're just a passing through, and that is the truth. We're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where he is, where our lion and our lamb, where our bridegroom Jesus is. And our focus needs to be on that. But if you're here and you're watching or you're listening and you're not sure, I want to tell you, God tells us what happens in history so that you can be ready and I can be ready. If you fought the urge to follow Jesus, I just want to say judgment's coming. Jesus will bring the, four fo uh, the full force of the Lion of Judah over the unrepentant world. He will bring it so harshly that the world will cry for the mountains to fall. Your response should be to call out to him right now. To ask him to open your eyes to see the beauty of the lion and the lamb. The beauty of our risen savior. Well, how do I do that? It's, it's as simple as ABC. What do you mean by that? A, admit that you're a sinner and incapable of saving yourself. You have to come to that realization. You, you can't do it. Your sin is what separates you from a holy God. But B, believe that Jesus is your Savior who died so that your sin could be forgiven and you could have eternal life. You have to believe that. We call that faith. And if you feel like you don't have enough, well, the scripture says, ask God who will give it to you freely. Do that now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus on Good Friday died for you? Do you believe that he was buried and rose again? He did that so that you could have the gift of eternal life through him. That's what the scripture says. The wage of your sin was death. And all of us have sinned, but the gift of God is, is, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lastly, to confess, see. Admit, believe, confess. Confess in prayer 
to Jesus that you need him as Savior and Lord. That's what we call just talking to him, having a conversation with him. We often say, bow your head and close your eyes. That's just to help us focus and, and have a sense of humility. Romans tell us, tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So, admit that you're a sinner. Go ahead. Do it now. Believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose again, and he's capable of saving you. Do you, do you believe... Do you believe that? Tell me. Do you? Yes. And confess that he is your Savior. Confess it now. He is the Lord, meaning the King of kings, worthy to control your life. Go ahead. Tell him. Praise God. Worthy is the Lamb. And our Lamb has reached up and taken the scroll. And what happens next? What happens next is bigger than a three-pointer at a buzzer. What happens next is bigger than a Hail Mary touchdown. What happens next is bigger than winning the Daytona 500 or scoring the winning goal in the Stanley Cup or World Cup. All of heaven will erupt. But for what? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned for that. You are loved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just come into your presence rejoicing that you have risen, that you have conquered. And this text says not only did you conquer, now you are the one worthy to take the scroll. You are the king of kings. Therefore, God has highly exalted you that at your name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. The scripture says that you have taken the deed now to the earth and that you will rule and reign. We are anxious for that day, Father. Come quickly, we pray. Be exalted. We hail your holy name. All hail King Jesus. You are worthy of our praise. And Lord, for anyone here today who has been watching without a saving knowledge of who you are, would you save them in this moment? Would they just cry out to you, admitting that they're a sinner, believing that you are the Son of God, worthy, who died, was buried, and rose again? Would they just confess that now? As I pray, would they pray? Father, would you just come into their life, change them, and restore them, that this Easter, when everything else seems to be falling apart around, that they would see this and get a sense of the truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, open their eyes, we pray. Open their ears to hear. Open their mind to understand so that they might be saved today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.